Welcome to How to Save the World. I'm Waveney Worth. Oh, and I'm Tim Bat. Hello. Oh <laughs> I forget because we're not physically in the same room. <laughs> um, and today we've got an awesome guest with us who is here because of COVID, um, because the world's changed. It's the biggest crisis our generation's seen. And um, this guy, Shane Ward, is a co-founder of Better Futures Forum, which recently launched a platform that could change all of our lives. That's why I'm thinking of it. It's great to have you here, Shane. How are you doing? Yes, good. Thank you for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. Um, so, Shane, well, paths have crossed a couple of times. Um, we were in a movie together a few years ago, um, Living the Change, and um, we've caught up before um, in terms of you've got a consultancy, Action Ecology. That's, you're based in Melbourne, is that right? Well, at the moment I'm, I'm in Melbourne. Um, I will be returning permanently to New Zealand uh, by Christmas, if not before. So mm. a lot of my focus of my work is actually in New Zealand because that's, that's where I'm going to be. But awesome. I have just briefly been in Melbourne, yeah. Awesome. And uh, yeah, today uh, we've got you in to talk about Better Futures Forum, um, which has sort of taken everyone by surprise. Can you just tell us, for the listeners who haven't heard of it, can you just give us a bit of a rundown on where it's come from and, and what's happening? Sure. Well, I mean, the, the Better Futures Forum is a, a group of people. It's, it's uh, I guess you'd say, a, the start of a movement of sorts, um, that it's arisen out of this global pandemic that we find ourselves in. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of people around the world, uh, as well as in New Zealand, who have sort of realised that not only do we find ourselves in a historic moment, but that um, we've been sort of surprised at how quickly everything can essentially stop or grind to a halt or be put on pause and and that that while this can be a bit uh, alarming in some ways it also gives us an opportunity um, and that opportunity is that well we, if we're going to have to restart um, after this passes then what should that look like and is this not an opportunity to maybe chart a course that takes us to a better New Zealand than what we went in with, you know. I think, in a nutshell, that's that's the um, the creative impulse that's kind of formed the start of it. Mm, mm. And um, you, it's been launched with Mike Joy, um, group of mates. He's he's called it. Me and a group of mates got together. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mike was the one that asked me if I'd like be, to be interested in, you know, if I was interested in, in being involved. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a great group of us, uh, Catherine Knight, Mike Joy, Glenn Baxter, Stu Farrant. And yeah. uh, we're also really Eight pleased to, um, to bring in um, the student strikes for climate. Uh, we've got Lulu with us um, on the core group as well to really make sure that this was an intergenerational thing and that we wasn't just a bunch of you know, older people <laughs> in a room waffling away. And in fact, you know, that also speaks, I think, to the idea behind this is that it shouldn't just be the usual voices, the usual people, the usual experts. Um, this needs to be something that's a broad, much broader movement that actually uh, is about trying to collate, trying to bring together the all the best ideas from a wide cross-section of society. So, yeah, you know, the people who are experts in their field, let's definitely hear, you know, what their ideas are, but let's also make sure it goes much wider than that. And, you know, this is also factoring in, you know, Maturanga Māori and, you know, the the, the children 
um, are being thought about, you know, those that are young now, those that are coming in the future, because, you know, the idea of sort of reverting back to normal isn't really acceptable because normal was a crisis. So here's an opportunity to weave together a lot of different things uh, and hopefully try and make um, something that, we, that can get a broad momentum behind it, um, you know, that, that everyone can, can see is going to make their lives better. Just so it's explicitly um, been said, what areas is the Better Futures Forum focusing on? Yeah, that's a good question, Tim. So, so the vision is um, to look at, I suppose, at all aspects of... New Zealand society and the country as a whole, but um, predominantly um, starting off looking at things such as land and water, infrastructure, transport, buildings and housing, energy and economy. But, and this is the key difference, we weave all those things together because the point is that they all interact. Um, and of course, you know, over the top of that is where we need to be bringing in the you know, lenses of um, Mataranga Māori and intergenerational and, uh, you know, equality and all these kinds of things, um, because they link through all of those themes. So really, I think what I'm super excited about is that we're not just going to get engineers talking to engineers or um, you know, academics talking to academics. We're actually going to, and we are starting to really try and interweave all these things so that we actually get groups of people who are talking to, to one another and sharing their best ideas um, across all those things. and But then also there's a second level where we actually then take that and make sure that it's being woven throughout all these these different themes and topics. And, and hopefully at the end of that, we come out with something that's actually, you know, truly exciting and awesome. can actually make a difference. I think um, first I forgot to say right at the beginning, congratulations, because um, for a start you got the domain name BFF, which is... <laughs> I can't believe you guys just BFF.org.nz, just so everyone knows where to go. And yeah. um, so it's for a start, it's such a feel-good kind of a thing, the BFF organisation. I love it. And secondly, this concept of bringing everybody together so that there's some sort of cohesion isn't new. In fact, it's been tried just over and over again. It's what everybody wants to do. But... You, you can't just do it. Somehow you guys have managed to have a mandate and somehow, and this is the thing that I'm really excited about, why I wanted to get you on to talk about it, is that there's somehow you guys are really, and maybe it's the timing or I don't know what, maybe it's you guys who's involved, you've managed to get people excited and you do actually seem to have this genuine mandate. Um, and it, tell us about how when you guys first launched, which was only like three, three or so weeks ago, eh? early April 2020, yeah. Um, tell us about the, like, because your website crashed, I understand, and, to, and you were just overwhelmed with, you completely had no idea what was coming in terms of the enthusiasm of the uptake for BFF. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a remarkable initial response. It was actually really encouraging uh, how many people, you know, seemed to really respond to it. And I think that, you know, they often say that, you know, it's not always, you know, having a good idea that matters. It's about the timing. You know, sometimes, you know, every idea needs its time. Mm -hmm. And like I alluded to before, I think that, you know, around the world, a lot of people are thinking, well, hang on a second. Um, we know we needed to, to make changes. You know, there's definitely problems in the world. There's all kinds of crises being talked about. Um, if if we can just suddenly hang on, just put the brakes on everything and put everything on pause, then if that's possible, then 
that forces us to stop and think well actually what's really important and if we have a choice what what would i choose what you know what do we want the world to be like and a lot of people i could see online in various places you know were were having this same kind of thought at the same time so i suspect timing does have a great deal to do with it a lot of people really felt like this is the moment where maybe we have a shot at changing the course of things of of actually standing up and saying exactly what kind of world we want um or at least asking the question being involved in the discussion you know because this is the thing this is not about a group of people bringing pre-formed solutions to it this is about co-creating something um taking all the best ideas and, and seeing how they all plug together and you know um and i think that's a really important part of it as well um but i do think the timing has been really important um it's been very encouraging the response and uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing how this develops what evolves just on that shane this i i guess this is sort of the biggest question um that you can ask about it but and it may seem um a bit stupid on the surface but l- literally like what will the foundation be doing um what will the outputs be either intended or stuff that you're already creating like literally what is it going to do and make and be yeah i mean that's a really good question and there's a, a there's a lot of different ways to actually answer that um, i would say probably that the simplest way to put it is that what we want to achieve is we want to get a a broad movement of aligned people together we want to get uh build a mandate for change now i don't want to i don't think it's probably appropriate to go into too much more detail about that because we're still at the start of this and we want to actually be open to the answer of that coming about and being refined as we do it because i think there would be a mistake if we all just came in with a preconceived idea and go oh, well the solution's x y and z so let's just get a whole bunch of people behind that i think that's kind of the thinking from before you know that's the kind of the, the old world way of thinking about it i think that what's exciting about this is that you know we do actually have a lot of really exciting ideas and a lot of really exciting people involved in this so i guess i'm trying to just not second guess it and say oh it's going to be x y and z i think it's going to be a lot of things you know i think that in invariably once we kind of move forward with this there's going to be a lot more coming out of the bff we're forming interesting alliances so you're going to start to hear more in the media about it and you'll get much more you know detail about specifically what kinds of things are going to happen um there's invariably going to be conversations with um with government or government departments about some of the things that come out of this you know there's going to be a range of different things but i think probably the the core of it really is that that as many people as possible really get behind it and engage with it and participate in actually thinking about and trying to create a more resilient new zealand is it partly like um we all know what the problems are, but then when we're asked what the solution is, we're like, bah, 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 because it's a bit, yeah. it's a bit overwhelming yeah. and, and we're yeah, not well, really too it, sure. Know, so it's, it's like forming that. It, yes. I, I think, you know, that's definitely something that's on our mind is that you, you get situations whereby it's very easy to point the finger at what's going wrong. It can be very difficult to say what's actually a, a real solution to it like or are we pointing at root causes or are we pointing at symptoms of something else you know is the problem a systemic one is it a bigger you know connected problem or is it a series of smaller problems and and understanding that's important i think the other thing as well that can happen is that you'll get people who are tied to a particular solution 
for various reasons. It could be professionally because of their work or their career. It could just be because that's just all they know about. Um, but you'll tend to find that, you know, some people will say, oh, the answer is electric cars or the answer is carbon capture and storage. You know, and we sort of refer to these as this kind of silver bullet solutions. Um, someone comes in and says, oh, it's all just biochar or it's all just, you know, if we just do that, everything will be fixed. And clearly that's not true. I mean, you know, we do have a complicated, complex world and a lot of the um, challenges that we face are interconnected. So I think one of the important things is that we actually be honest and open and grown up about that and say, look, this is complex stuff. But let, instead of trying to simplify it, which isn't going to give us the answer we need, let's let's actually embrace that complexity. Let's engage with it and say, yeah, it's complex. So let's look at how these things interact. You know, so if we're talking about agriculture, uh, food, farming, and how we use land for that purpose, let's look at how that impacts other things. How is that impacting water? How is that impacting transport, where people live, how we generate energy, what kind of economy we have? You know, all these things are connected. So let's embrace that. Let's work with it. Let's kind of go in with our all our knowledge and all our best ideas and let's see if we can kind of make something that's all joined up and makes sense. Shane, can I ask a question just of you so you don't have to sort of frame this around um, representing everything from the foundation's point of view, but do you yeah. see New Zealanders having a special place in the world uh, when it comes to these sorts of conversations? Absolutely. I mean, that's a really broad question to, to answer. There's so many, but yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, yes. I think that, you know, New Zealand does have a special place in the world in regards to this. Okay, maybe a better question is how are we different or what could those opportunities be that are New Zealand specific versus taking this sort of um, methodology and ideology and planting it in a different country? Look, I mean, there's lots of different levels that I could talk about that on. I think that one of them is a, a physical geographical thing you know that New Zealand has a lot of opportunity and a lot of things going for it in terms of where it's situated in the world the fact that it's an island you know two islands um, that it is um, also a developed country and it has a relatively small population and you know abundant rainfall and pretty good soils and you know all this kind of stuff so it's been blessed with a lot of different things in that regard but also I think from the from a, from a cultural perspective the relative community-centric values of New Zealanders. I think the fact that, you know, the the difference between the, uh, in status between the highest and the lowest in New Zealand is actually quite narrow compared to a lot of other countries, you know, the sort of, the, what you might call the sort of the power differential, right? Um, that's a real asset. You know, I think that a lot of New Zealanders are, they're quite progressive um, in terms of, you know, willing to, look at a problem and be open to looking at solutions. You know, they're not necessarily as grounded in a very deep and, uh, in, should we say, problematic tradition compared to a lot of other places, you know, which makes mm. it difficult to change. And so I think there's lots of there's lots of aspects. I think I've seen that really come to the fore, that sort of cultural makeup of New Zealand in terms of us being, you know, it's all relative, but quite an egalitarian country when it comes to our response to COVID. It was sort yeah. of, we, we got this message from on high and everyone just went, all right, I guess that's what we're doing. And it's it's not been easy for a lot of people out there, but everyone really got in behind it. And it makes me very hopeful um, for what we could, in other ways, how we could use that going forward. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect example. Um, I, and I felt like, you know, people people saw the value beyond themselves. You know, they, everybody's been impacted by this, but for the vast majority of New Zealanders, it really seemed like everyone sort of realised they were pulling together for everybody else. And that's something to be valued because that is not as easy to achieve in other places. Mm, absolutely. So, um, Shane, I'm thinking about what we are talking before too about the outcomes um, of BFF. And is it is it – are you thinking like in terms of like once you come up with some solutions, be it all complicated and multifaceted um, – what then is it? Is it that you the aim is to give the mandate to the government to then do something, or is it not all about the government? Could actually some of these things be implemented quite separately? I, yeah, I think um, first of all, I don't think that the well, I certainly hope that the output of all this is not complicated. What I'm hoping is that we're going to take a lot of complicated things and stitch them together into something that makes sense. So people will be able to look at and go, yeah, okay, I can see that. And I can see how that makes the country that I live in a better place to live. Um, and I can see how we can get there. Yes. That's, that's what awesome. we're, that's our grand ambition. And I think that it's really promising, you know, how we're starting with this. Um, in terms of then what, whatever that picture looks like, um, what is the best way to put that into action is a, is an open question. I think at this end of the process where we are now, two of the obvious ones are to really get everybody behind this, to understand it, to find something in it, or hopefully multiple things in it that they really feel passionately about and can connect with. And this is about you know creating a mandate, because if we want change, and let's be honest, change needs to come from the top and the bottom, if it's going to be all the way through, um, then getting that mandate is important. In other words, getting that support so that the politicians um, can see that this isn't just a small group of people off on the fringe here. This is a really large body of people who actually all think that this is something that's important to them. Okay, that gives us the not just an excuse to do something and to think about it, but also it gives us a bit of room to to say, okay, well, if we make these kinds of changes, if we, if we do start to look at this stuff, we've got people behind us. We're not out on our own. Um, but, you know, again, I think that it's also broader than just government, of course. This is about all of society because a lot of the things that we need to do uh, and the place we want to get to is going to involve everybody. And um, and exactly, you know, what that looks like is going to be something that comes out of this. So mm. it's difficult to talk in too much detail right now. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of a uh, way to phrase this question in a way where you can answer it in less than an hour and a half. But you've got a background in regenerative land use and it's just something that I've been really fascinated by and don't know much about whatsoever. Um, I'm wondering if you can just sort of briefly tell us, we, we've touched on it multiple times in different episodes across the podcast, but we, we haven't sort of done our deep dive into it just yet. But can you speak to um, what regenerative uh, land use is, what it's about and why it's important? Regenerative land use is essentially a, it's the design and management of land in such a way that we can produce food, fiber and fuel from it in a way that makes it better over time, not worse. So not depleting the resource of 
It's like topsoil, but actually keeping it going. Yeah. So, you know, if I was to kind of give a definition, you know, a slightly more precise definition, I would say that it's the design and management of productive land use that mimics natural ecosystems. Um, so it, it harnesses um, ecological function to produce the things that we need that's always adjusting to feedback. And that bit's important because what it's not is it's not taking a preconceived pattern or idea and stamping it onto the land. Um, so, you know, a really good example of the contrast between that is when you compare a what we might call a conventional, although I prefer the term industrial agriculture approach and a regenerative agriculture approach. If you stood them side by side, the industrial approach is you come and say, okay, I'm going to um grow corn i'm going to be a corn farmer and you find some land and you go okay that'll do and then you uh, you stamp down the pattern of corn farming onto this landscape which is kind of completely without any regard to you know what's the microclimate maybe or you know what's the biodiversity what's the slope what's going on you know all the actual natural features and what's the living um situation of that place you just stamp it down and, and then everything is either working for you or working against you and you try and get rid of the things that are working against you if there's pests you spray them if you you know and it's a kind of a very uh, simplified and linear approach everything is a it's a process based someone can perhaps come and tell you okay if you want to grow that you're going to need to apply this much fertilizer and this much of this and then you're going to spray this time of year for that and you know someone can give you a process and you can just follow it uh, you know, I'm simplifying, but that's basically that approach, right? And this is why we have, you know, things like factory farming. Um, you know, if you see those awful um, concentrated feedlots in the states and places like that, you know, this is this is some, sort of the example of this industrial mentality applied to producing food. It's it's essentially treating a living thing like it's a machine. Uh, it's all about inputs and outputs. It's about efficiency. Even the language is is, is essentially a production line language. So by contrast. When we're talking about something like regenerative agriculture, what we're talking about doing is we're saying, okay, the land, nature, is complex. It's dynamic. Okay, so instead of trying to fight it by simplifying it and making it fit some sort of, you know, predetermined pattern, we're going to work with it, right? So we're going to say, okay, how does nature cycle nutrients? How does nature grow plants? How does nature control pests? Let's learn from that and let's apply those principles to a system that can produce what we want. Um, you know, so we're working in conjunction with these natural processes. And it's a different way of doing it because what you're doing is you're actually, instead of coming with a preconceived idea and applying it, you're actually standing back and kind of looking at it and saying, what's happening on my land? Where is it wet? Where is it dry? When does it rain? You know, what happens when I, when I change this? What happens? How does the land respond? And then how do I, in partnership with that process, you know, in, improve the productivity and the health of it? So in a sense, the, the health of the landscape is tied to the productivity of it. The two things aren't in competition. You're not trying to essentially mine the landscape for, you know, nutrient or whatever else in order to extract something which you then send off and sell. Instead, you're saying, okay, by making this land better, it's more productive, it's healthier. And the, the really the key difference, the one takeaway that you can walk away from if none of that made any sense, is that regenerative agriculture and all the different approaches which sort of fit under that loose umbrella, that general approach. The reason why that's important is because without a permanent 
agriculture that is one that can be done forever, without that, we can't have a permanent civilization because we're going to need to eat. And this has nothing to do with climate change. Even if the climate was dandy, we would still need to solve that problem. How do we feed ourselves in a way that doesn't degrade the land? So that's you know really what we're trying to do here with regenerative agriculture is find these ways, and people have found these ways, to, to produce things forever. Does that make sense? Mm. That was a brilliant summation by someone who obviously is a professional communicator. It was uh, I got that on multiple <laughs> levels. It was great. Yay! <laughs> um, I picked out what you said about um, you're always a soundbite man. You're always full of awesome quotes. You talked. You said health and productivity are tied together, and. Um, my understanding is that that's not all that's tied. Um, so if the land is healthy and if it, therefore it's more productive, you're also, I think with these ways of farming, you're usually providing more jobs and it's usually inputting money into local economies. Um, if, yeah. that's all, if that's all right, um, then that just seems to be a win-win-win and yet we don't seem to run to pick it up. In fact, there's a lot of resistance to the sorts of stuff you're talking about and I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on why that's the case. It's important to realise that a lot of farmers are in a really difficult situation. Farm debt is high, market price fluctuations have huge knock-on effects and the entire system is focused on total yield. So I don't blame a lot of farmers for viewing a transition to something new as risky, but that's why they need our support and the right advice to ensure that they can transition their land and business safely to a more resilient system. And that's where Regen Ag comes in. If done sensibly, we've shown that it doesn't have to be risky. And I predict that before long, the single most important factor on every farm will be resilience, both ecological and economic. So when we talk about climate breakdown, extreme weather, biodiversity, fresh water and food systems. Our farmers are the key to it all and the brave pioneers that have led the way in farming regeneratively in New Zealand are our greatest allies and they really need our support. So if you want to know how you as an individual can help, then I'd say go out there, find out who they are and support them. That's true. In terms of why, why is there so much resistance to uptake? Well, I mean, there's less than there was. I think the more the more people that adopt it, the the more people are seeing the benefits. Um, I would say there's a there's a couple of reasons. I think some people just simply don't understand it. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Is that just a lot of people hear about it, they go, "Oh God, is it that you know that organic crap or whatever?" You know, people who just immediately label it as something without engaging with it and write it off. I've had someone say that to me once before. <laughs> is, is that sort of inertia in a way? It's just like, well, this is different from how I have always lived and yes. bought things and existed in my life. Therefore, I don't want to engage with it. Yeah, to a large degree. Some people have just said, you know, I, I, if, if it's a farmer we're talking about, it's not always farmers, but if it was a farmer we're talking about, they might say, look, you know, I've, I farm the way I farm. I farm like this all my life. This is the way my father farmed, my grandfather farmed. Um, and you're coming and telling me that, you know, it's uh, it's it's not right, or there's some other way that's much better. It's 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 a difficult message to sell. But that being said, you know where where uptake is increasing, where people are beginning to see the benefits of this, um, we notice. You know, you notice that often it's it starts at, at a point of questioning. 
you know so for example a farmer might be looking at their land and they might be going look you know I'm, I've been doing what this um, agronomist or you know my fertilizer rep's been telling me to do for X number of years and it's really not that much better you know I'm, I'm pumping all this money into mm. inputs and everyone's telling me the inputs are bad but you know look I can't worry about that I'm just trying to you know break even I'm trying to you know mm. keep this thing running but to be honest, yeah. you know, they start to question and go, well, but hang on, but why am I doing this? You know, why am I spending so much money on inputs? Um, and it's not turning things around. If anything, things might be getting worse. And over time, you know, if they're really looking at what their land's doing, they begin to notice, you know, you're getting erosion, you're getting compaction, you're getting all kinds of, basically things are starting to break down. The landscape function, if you want to call it that, is getting poorer over time. They begin to question, they begin to look for alternatives. Usually they'll come across some form of uh, Regen Act practice or something or a management approach. And then, you know, if they can, if, if they start to try it or they see where someone else has done it, they're like, oh, hang on, okay, yeah, this makes sense to me. You know, you can, I can mm. stand up and talk till I'm blue in the face about the science that backs it up and what the ecological principles are that underpins it. But really at the end of the day, the most powerful thing for a lot of um, practitioners is, is actually just seeing the results, seeing it on someone else's farm, a neighbour or somebody else, or, or even just giving something a go because they've hit rock bottom. And that, in fact, is interesting because that's one of the, I would say, if I could break down the people, the two groups of people that have transitioned to Regen Ag, traditionally they have been for either one of two reasons. One, they've just one day decided, hang on, there's got to be a better way and they've gone and looked for answers. And so they have, I guess, had the curiosity to go and see if there was a better way of doing things and they've come across it. The second group of mm -hmm. people are people that have been in some situation, often a really difficult environment, like a really long drought or something, where they've pretty much gotten to the point of bankruptcy, you know, and they're just like, I, I've got maybe one more year left or I'm going to have to, you know, well, I'm going to have to do something pretty drastic to turn this around. And that's when they've gotten desperate, they've innovated, they've tried something new and they've seen the results. And I think those stories are really powerful. And, and I think personally, I'd like to think that we don't have to wait for people to get to that point. But it, but it's not easy. No, I mean, you know, there's, there's always lots of different reasons. And also commercially, let's be honest, um, the playing field at the moment is, you know, very much geared towards this industrial approach. So in other words, it's it's not that what you're talking about isn't profitable, because clearly it is, but if the, the big ag is more profitable. Well, no, actually, I wouldn't say that. What I would say is that, and okay, I'm simplifying here, because and it's also different for every operation. They've all got different levels of debt, different you know concerns. But yep. generally speaking, Regen Ag is more profitable, but l lower output. So and this is the thing is if all you care about is what's my what's my total output and you don't look at anything else, then you might look at a regen X system and go, oh well that's lower production. Now that's not always right. true. That's not always true either, but it, it can be yeah. frequently true. But then what's missing from that discussion is, well, hang on a second, yes, but there's two things that are really you're missing out on. One, what's the profitability? And two, what's your impact? Because at the moment, if you're if you're having an impact uh, as a land user on the broader environment, but you're not paying for it, and it's taxpayers that are paying to clean that up or to fix that or whatever, then you're effectively being subsidised. So it's not a true, it's a false economy. You know what I mean? And um, I know yeah, this is a sensitive yeah. subject, but I mean, that's just the facts. That's just the truth. You know, if, if there are impacts currently, most, you know, in a lot of cases, it's not the person that's having causing those impacts that are paying for them directly, usually. Now, things are better than they used to be, but 
um, what we're saying is that with regen ag, you eliminate the impacts or greatly reduce them, but you are also drastically reducing and in some cases eliminating the input costs. So, so actually what you end up happening is you may drop production, that's true, but your profitability goes up. And again, you so know, in, in other words, there's there's sort of a ceiling to the scale that you can do, and what has become very in vogue and, um, I guess, entrenched over many years is these agricultural conglomerates that sort of do one thing and they just scale it up. Yeah, and that's been the approach. The idea is that if we let's have as few people farming the land as possible, and let's bring as much machinery and technology in as possible. And then that way it's more, in inverted commas, efficient, and we can leverage economies mm. of scale. And this is what the, sort of, this is the way the economics are set up. But unfortunately, without going into it too much, that mentality, that approach, is one of a factory. That's not how ecosystems yes. work. And that's why we have the problems, in a nutshell, is because we've tried to treat something that's complex as if it's simple, but it's not. So, so what we actually need is a shift from imposing simplicity to managing complexity. So when we um, go from a system of uh, land use, and it's not, I don't want to say it's not just agriculture, but, let, but obviously agriculture is a really key one. So in agriculture, if we just keep saying, well, if we just put more inputs on, more fertilizer, um, let's try and drive more production, you might be able to do that for a while, but it's not going to last forever because there's a cost to that. So sooner or later... Mm. That's going to be, that land's going to be knackered, and you're not going to be able to do anything Ooh. with it. So, so that's clearly not much of a long-term strategy. So let's let's try something different. You know, we we know that we can do that. Because if there's one thing that that I would just say, if I'm standing up in front of a group of people, I'll say, you are not a farmer, you're an ecosystem manager, whether you realise it or not. Is that the case even if you're not a farmer, like Tim, for example? Yeah, it is. If if you have land, if you have a garden, if you have a, a a lifestyle block, you know, if you if there is land that you are, you know, living on or living with, then you are an ecosystem manager, and your decisions and and you know you can pretend you're not, but it doesn't change the reality that you are actually interacting with an ecosystem. So you can simplify it because it makes it easier to work with, but that's it's a false thing you know, that doesn't make it more simple you are just simply not paying attention to those things so the more you can engage with the reality that's there the actual complexity that's there and work with it the better off you'll be because if you try and fight nature i mean there's only that and battle can only end one way in my opinion it's a nice model i like that um getting back to bff is there because i think what we've talked about so far is um, some of the people who are, uh, have sort of formed the organization and um, operating at quite a high level. And we've talked about um, agriculture in particular, your area of expertise and what you've focused on for many years. Um, I wonder, is there a place in this organization for the groundswell of normal people going about their lives who, um, you know, are, are just trying to raise their families and do their jobs and live their lives, but do want to get invested in seeing a better future um is there sort of a place for them in this forum as well oh absolutely there's a place for them there's a place for everybody who wants to get involved um you know the form that people are willing to take or interested in taking or have the time to to take you know to, to get involved in this you know that will change that'll be different for everybody but you know we are not excluding anybody and 
we would actually encourage everybody to to get involved, to get engaged at least um, in whatever way you know is is doable for them. Um, and that can be just as little as you know sign up to the website, just go put your email address in, just to get some news and some updates, and, and stay tuned for for what's for what's happening. You know, share it. Um, and and if you do have something that you want to contribute, if you have an idea and you think to you know yourself, I, I feel like maybe things would be better if you know if we did this, then you know submit it. Like the, you know you, you may find that it gets picked up and, and wrapped up in this whole in this whole thing, and that could be a really positive contribution. Um, so I mean, like I said, at the, at the stage, I think it's difficult to say with precision exactly what all the opportunities to engage with this will be, but there are going to be multiple ways. That, that much I can tell you. We've already got lots of great ideas for how people can get involved, you know, over the coming weeks. This is not a a long long term thing. This is this is all happening quite rapidly. So at the moment, I'd say watch mm. this space. Please engage. You know, register your interest and and keep an eye out because you know more, more is coming. Great. Yes, so registering is a great idea for now and um, people can find you on Facebook? Yes, BFF, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us via the website um, and probably most of the uh, social media channels over the coming weeks. Nice, right. but uh, I can commend you as well on a fantastic website. It is uh, beautifully designed and laid out, really simple, really easy to take in and navigate around. So it's BFF org.nz in the show notes as well i'm going to put in a um keynote that shane gave i think at victoria university a couple of years ago that dr mike joy introduced oh that was that was a few months ago yes in that presentation that you gave uh which it has the audio and it carries the slideshow that you gave for about an hour i was just like number one it shows that you are a man who has come from a corporate comms and then filmmaking background because just in terms of like storytelling elements and carrying people along it's so fantastically laid out and there's just so many super compelling elements and facts in there um like one just to sort of try and entice people to to go and check that out this blew me away that food has gotten literally less nutritious compared to the 40s and by like a dramatic amount um, based on how we're farming and treating our soil and whatnot. Uh, so that's a link that you can get to in the show notes and I highly recommend if you've got a little bit of time you can um, have a listen to that as well because it's very educational and compelling stuff. But in the meantime, the website, once again, cannot say it enough, bff.org.nz. So, Shane, thank you so much for joining us today. Brilliant. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, the absolute pleasure. Thank you, and best of luck with BFF. Yeah, cheers. Thank you. We'll uh, hopefully get to talk again and be able to share in a bit more detail uh, where we get to. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks again. 